I invite you to turn with me in Holy Scripture to the New Testament letter of Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. And as a reminder, we are uh, spending these couple of weeks after Easter Sunday proper, continuing to focus our attention on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and on the benefits that come to us from his resurrection. Our catechism details three of those benefits in particular, and today we're going to be looking at our resurrection from the dead in light of Christ's own resurrection from the dead. So again, let's focus our attention to Philippians chapter 3. Verses 17 through 21. Hear now the holy and inspired word of the Lord. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is their destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body, by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Brothers and sisters, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Almighty God, who has spoken to us in various times and in various ways through the prophets, but now through your own beloved Son, speak now powerfully again in the power of the Holy Spirit and enable us to hear and to understand and to rightly apply this word which you have spoken. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be all honor and glory world without end. Amen. Cedric McMillan was a respected bodybuilder, and like any bodybuilder, he represented the pinnacle of what the human body is capable of accomplishing. The training and the competitions, these folks look like statues. They look like they've been sculpted to look like the absolute zenith of what humankind can achieve. There's a a kind of glory that is attached to that way of life, to that whole world of bodybuilding. And uh, Cedric attained it until a couple of weeks ago at the age of 44 when he suddenly died of a heart attack, uh, leaving behind a family and a a whole host of awards in the respect of those in the bodybuilding world. Uh, Suddenly all gone, all that work, all that time. In our passage today, in verse 21, we see here that the human body is referred to as lowly. Our lowly body. And this is a universal trait for the entire human race. Every single person in the world, regardless of their health, has a lowly body. Whether you are a bodybuilder or on the far other end of the spectrum, we share in this common characteristic of having a lowly body. Why? Why is that true? It's true because we have not yet experienced the resurrection of the body. The natural body is good, but it is lowly. 
according to this passage. The resurrected body will be good and glorious. And in our passage today, we in particular learn how to wait for that resurrection, the resurrection of our bodies. We learn how to wait for that being raised in a godly manner. That Christ promise, his promise to raise us up enables us to wait well for that resurrection from the dead. He's made a promise. And if we will take in that promise, hold tight to it, consider it, his spirit will enable us to wait well for him until he returns. How do we do that? Well, first we do it by recognizing Paul's command to walk and wait. He speaks to us in this passage about walking and waiting. As you're probably aware, the Bible uses this uh, action word to walk to describe the way that you live your life. Life is a pathway. We saw this in Ephesians. We saw it all over Proverbs. Life is a pathway. You can choose the wise way or the foolish way. You can choose the godly way or the wicked way. But life is a path one way or the other, and you will walk it. It's your manner of living. And in these verses in particular, Paul gives us a positive example for walking, a negative example for walking, and then the basis, the basis for his particular teaching here. The positive example for living your life, for taking up that godly walk, is there in verse 17. He says to take him and other godly people as an example of how you ought to live. Imitate me, he says. And set your eyes on those who have followed our example. Ours meaning Paul and his companions. Those who have established the churches. Those who are indeed following that example, follow their example. Because what we have laid down is the pathway of godliness for you. That's what Paul is saying. That's the positive example. The negative example is there in verses 18 and 19. Paul says that some walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. A terrible way to be described. There are some in this world, there are many in this world, who walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Another way, in other words, Paul says, turn away from an ungodly manner of living and live by following the footsteps of godly examples. Sometimes our imaginations get in the way. A godly imagination goes dark. And by looking to others who are walking this godly pathway, that imagination is enlightened and we can see a way forward to walk in a godly manner. So look to the examples of others. So we've seen that positive and the negative command, the negative example. Now the basis, the basis for Paul's command to walk in a godly manner is in verse 20. Why, why does he say this? Why does he say to imitate me and to keep your eyes on those who are walking in a godly manner? Verse 20, for our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a connection here that Paul is making between that positive example and the basis. The basis for that example Uh, Where your citizenship is ought to determine how you live. We see that naturally in this world. 
if you live in America, over time, you, you have no choice but to kind of live as an American. We have certain laws and customs from region to region in this country. Uh, similarly, if you were to go to some other country or culture, in some time you will change your ways. It will affect your manner of living. Because your citizenship ought to determine the kind of life that you are living. If you're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, then you'll walk in a heavenly manner. But if, as verse 19 says, your mind is set on earthly things, you'll walk in an earthly manner, in a worldly manner. Paul points out what this heavenly walk includes. One of the key factors of walking in a godly manner in this life is also there in verse 20, waiting for the Savior. We do a lot of waiting in this life as Christians. Um, We have to learn to be patient. And waiting is one of those key factors in walking, in walking the Christian life. Sometimes you have to stop on that pathway and wait for Christ to uh, once again reveal that he is your Savior in order for you to continue on instead of hopping off of that pathway and, and, and walking in a foolish manner on the pathway of ungodliness. The place where our true citizenship lies in heaven is also where our Savior is. From there, Paul says, we are awaiting the Savior. From this heavenly commonwealth where we gain a badge of citizenship and we are waiting for him. We're waiting. In fact, the sense of the word here is to eagerly wait. Not just wait in general, but actually there's a manner of waiting that is involved and it is to do so with eager anticipation. You know that there are different ways to wait for someone. Uh, it's the difference between picking up your friend at the, air, at the airport because they needed you to drop them off and pick them up. Maybe they were gone for just a couple days on a business trip. It's the difference between that and waiting at the airport for your spouse who's been on deployment for several months. Maybe you didn't know if uh, your spouse was even going to survive military engagement and you've been waiting. For your friend, you're probably circling the baggage claim area and you're impatiently waiting for a spot to open up and somebody's tapping on your window and telling you to move along and you're so frustrated because the plane didn't land on time and you're just impatiently going around and around That's a different kind of waiting than if you're waiting for your spouse to arrive after months away. For your spouse, you get there early. You bring the whole family and you've got cards and you've got balloons and you've got presents. And you actually go park the car in the lot and you come in and you wait. And then you have a a big celebration after pacing back and forth in anticipation. Both of these things are waiting. Different kind of waiting though. And we are to await the return of our Lord Jesus Christ in that second manner. With an eager anticipation, waiting to welcome Him with open arms as Savior and as King. We are to be as those who are prepared to embrace Him. Not to judge us, for the judgment has already fallen. The judgment has already been pronounced on Jesus Christ. The verdict is sealed. That verdict from the last day. And for those who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, His return now is that great thing we're waiting for. And we are to wait for Him, as it were, with open arms. 
That's one characteristic, one of the characteristics of our Christian walk, one of the crucial characteristics of it. This eager waiting is tied to Christ's return in other places in the New Testament as well. Same idea, same term itself is used uh, to describe an eager anticipation of his waiting because he will finally fully deliver us forever from sin. We've been delivered from the guilt and the power of sin now, but we still struggle in this life of sanctification. And one day he will come and you will no longer be able to sin again. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 28 tells us that. He'll deliver us forever from sin. He's come once to deal with sin and he'll come again to save. Or Romans chapter 8 verse 23, the same term is used there, that we are to eagerly wait for our adoption as sons. And then Paul calls that the redemption of our bodies. Our bodies will no longer be subject to decay, but we will be fully vindicated, revealed to the whole world as the sons and daughters of the living God, and raised so that even our very bodies will be redeemed. Loved ones, with hope, look to this coming one. Look to the coming Lord Jesus Christ. Not to the next best thing coming on in your life. Don't look to that thing for only this kind of hope. You can't get this kind of hope anywhere else than in Jesus Christ, who promises... To raise you even from death itself. And wait for him with eagerness. Secondly, we've seen now this command to walk and to wait. But now secondly, we wait in a godly manner for Christ by recognizing the challenge of our lowly bodies. There's a challenge that is placed before us in this Christian life. The thought of Eagerly waiting for Jesus is all well and good. But I'm assuming your experience of actually doing that walking and waiting for Jesus Christ has its ups and downs, maybe some deep downs. It is difficult to set our hope on the returning Lord Jesus Christ. And for that reason, um, we are so prone to look around for other things to look at and to wait for. And the reason why we struggle with this is it has to do with our state now, in this time, in this realm, and in this age. Paul speaks of our lowly body in verse 21. Now, he's certainly talking in some sense about our physical bodies, but he's also talking about more than that. Because the key contrast in this passage is between heavenly and earthly Heavenly and earthly. The kingdom of heaven is a kingdom of righteousness. That's what we're waiting for, Peter says. We are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness will dwell. That's the kingdom of heaven. And our citizenship is already there now by faith. It's done. You're a citizen of that kingdom now. And then we will dwell there with resurrected bodies later. But earth here in this particular passage is depicted as this place where sin continues to weigh us down. It continues to dog us in this life. The ones whom Paul calls the enemies of the cross 
are far too oriented to this world and to their bodies. Verse 19, Paul says that these enemies of the cross, they do have a God, but their God is their belly, meaning they're given to their appetites. They follow their master. Their appetites, their, their earthly, worldly appetites tell them what to do, and they say, okay, I'll do it. Paul summarizes this as saying that their minds are set on earthly things. There's the contrast between a heavenly citizenship and setting one's mind on earthly things. Let me clarify a couple of things before we go on. Uh, we must affirm as believers that the earth is good. God did not create a wicked world. God did not create a world that was inherently evil. He created this world and he created your body. The earth is good and your body is good. And both of these things have received the sacred benediction of God the creator. It is good, he says, and it is very good. And that remains. That benediction remains. But the problem, of course, is that sin has latched itself to every part of your existence and to this world. That is the sense in which Paul speaks about not just our body, but our lowly body, our lowly body. It is in these bodies that we are always inclined or inclined toward an earthly mindedness. It is in these earthly bodies that we suffer the terrible effects of the curse which God has inflicted upon this world due to sin. We get sick. We get injured. We die. We will decay. Uh, We were made from dust, and to dust we will return. That's a 100% statistic so far. Everyone will die. Brothers and sisters, in order for the resurrection of our bodies to be good news to us, and in order for us to wait for that resurrection eagerly, we also must recognize with honesty the challenge of our lowly bodies. We don't wait eagerly for Christ to come because we're, we're so uh, preoccupied with the things of this life and the problems of our bodies. We wait eagerly for him because his promises transcend all those problems. Uh, the pursuit of earthly comforts so often take center stage. That's that earthly mindedness. To be set on the things of this world is to pursue as utmost the earthly comforts that are offered. And we uh, tend to await temporary relief more eagerly than we wait for Christ to make all things new. One important part of walking in repentance is rejecting this very mindset. So we we hold two things to be true, that this earth is good and we do not reject it. And all all the things that God offers to us, we receive it with gratitude. But we do not take these things and make them our ultimate hopes or our ultimate comforts. We don't allow them to take center stage. They are temporal. They will pass away as good as they are. They will pass away. We receive all these things with thankfulness in our hearts from God, but we reject them as our total and ultimate comforts because that's earthly mindedness. And your citizenship is not here. 
It's in heaven. It's in heaven. The things of this earth cannot comfort you forever. They certainly cannot raise you from the dead. No matter what the ad men say to you on, on television. They cannot raise you from the dead. Put your hope in Jesus, the coming Savior, worthy of our obedience and mighty to save. Lastly, we wait in a godly manner for Christ to come by waiting for a specific thing. And that specific thing is the great transformation. There's a great transformation that's coming. Paul has shown us that we must walk in a manner that is consistent with waiting for Christ, waiting for him patiently to come. We also do so with a realistic understanding of the challenge of our bodies. And now Paul gets even more specific and bolsters us in this walk by focusing our attention on a great transformation. Verse 20 and onward, having told us that our citizenship is in heaven and that from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 21, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. It's a good thing to take care of our bodies, that's true. But our end goal, our ultimate goal, is actually not to prolong our lives indefinitely. That's not a Christian conviction in and of itself, to prolong our lives indefinitely. At some point, guaranteed, the lowliness of your body will catch up to you. And death will come. What we need then is transformation. We need something much more powerful to take place than anything that we can find in this life and in this world. A transformation from lowliness to glory. And this is the hope that Jesus Christ doesn't just offer for you to you, but has accomplished for you. Through his almighty power to subject all things to himself, what he promises to you is resurrection from the dead, transformation from lowliness to glory. Look at the wonderful irony of this passage. Verse 19, Paul says that the enemies of cross, they do indeed have a kind of glory. But their glory is their shame, he says. It's to their shame because it was a glory that was set on this world and on this body earthly mindedness and following the appetites and the desires of their body whatever they got that seemed glorious in return in the end is shameful and leads to their destruction the glory that we are looking for as those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ is the one that he himself gives to us and he has proven this by coming down and taking our flesh and facing our shame. Otherwise, all we would do is look for the glories of this world and then on the other side of that earthly glory just receive shame. But He has taken up our sin and our shame and that is precisely the wonder of the resurrection is that it came after the cross where Christ, God incarnate, has come and taken up our sin in himself, he has borne our sins in his body on the tree. And it is from that act of shame that he has been raised up to glorious life. Our sin. Our shame. 
in order that all the things that are bound up in this idea of lowliness might be done away with, finally. It is because Christ has descended down into our lowliness that he now promises, he promises a glory that is to come. But you see, it is to come. That's why we must remain patient and vigilant. And we must set our hope on Christ and that promise of resurrection from the dead. Otherwise, we will continue to walk in a manner that is tending toward earthly mindedness. The ESV translates this verse to say that our lowly body will be like his glorious body. And Paul is literally saying that we will be fully conformed to Christ's glorious body. We will receive a body like his. When Jesus was raised, the same body that went into the tomb was the body that was raised. The same body that faced the shame and the indignity of the cross is the one that was raised in glory. And so it shall be with us. There's some kind of mysterious continuity between the body you have now and the body you have when you will be raised to glory. Christ's wounds remained. They were the evidence that he presented to Thomas in order that Thomas might believe. Well, blessed are you, brothers and sisters, who have not seen and yet believe. His body is the one that went into the tomb and received the scars, received the wounds, and have become scars, and has now been raised up into glory. And as we read in John chapter 21, he eats. He sits down to a meal with his people. There is a continuity between the bodies we have now and the bodies that we will have. But the lowliness of sin and corruption will be gone. Completely done away with. All capacity for suffering and death will be utterly destroyed so that as surely as the Savior lives, so too will we live. We will have a body like His. Fully conformed. These lowly bodies will become through a transformation by our powerful Savior fully conformed to His body of glory. Loved ones in Christ, this is why we wait eagerly for Him. We're waiting specifically for the hope of His return. For when He comes, He will bring about this magnificent transformation. And you can rest in this hope because though we daily fail, He cannot fail. We cannot, certainly cannot raise ourselves from the dead, no matter how hard we try. And we cannot prolong our life into eternity. But Christ will raise us from the grave. Paul says that Jesus is powerful to subject all things to himself. All things. Will he create a new heavens and a new earth and then leave you out of it? Certainly not. Our risen king is actively putting his enemies under his feet. He reigns now. And and at some point, even the last enemy, death, finally, finally will be done away with. He's triumphed over it now through his resurrection. And the experience of death will finally be done away with when he returns. We, We recognize this promise now by faith. One day we'll finally see it. As we touch our own bodies and realize that they can't sin or suffer anymore. 
raised from the dead to be made like Christ. We will see that in Christ subjecting all things to his authority and trampling down all his enemies, that that act includes our own sinfulness and anything that we did in the body that was inclined toward earthly mindedness, subjected under the lordship of Jesus Christ. So set your hearts on this hope now. He reigns now. So look to him now. No lesser promise will comfort your soul when suffering and death come. And no lesser power will help you walk in the newness of life. Brothers and sisters, in our sin and in this world of sorrow, it is difficult to remember the hope of the resurrection. The world offers all kinds of temporary comforts. Receive them with gratitude, but do not place your hope in them. Do not walk as the enemies of the cross in earthly mindedness. Your Savior has given you a heavenly citizenship. Walk according to that. Walk in this new life and wait for him who has been crucified and raised for you. And one day will surely raise up your lowly bodies. Amen.